Thank you for listening to Brewery Radio. I'm Patrick Rue, and in studio today is Dave Farrell, bassist for, what's that band called? Lincoln no, Park? Yeah, that might be it. Holy shit, dude. Why are you here? I'm just here for the free beer, Pat. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you can come anytime for free beer. And uh, in the corner of, uh, of the studio, a.k.a. my office, is Sean Lim. He says uh, he doesn't want to speak on the microphone today, but just for the record, I want to make sure that we acknowledge that it's, he's here. It's good to have Sean here, too, just to refer to him. And I'd actually, this is the perfect setup, because I'd prefer, uh, in general life, or in my life, for him to not have a microphone. Yeah. And then we can talk about him. We can he make, all the, make all the jokes we want, and he just never gets <laughs> he never gets to reply. You're a much better looking guy than you are, uh, like... When I hear you talk, Sean, no, it's okay. I love Sean. Uh, Sean's a mutual friend of ours, and um, we like to give him a lot of shots. He's he's the reason why we're together, Pat. Yes, that and by together, I don't mean dating. Well, <laughs> I mean, but you've only had like, you just two looked years. at you just looked at me like I, you were open to it. Yeah, I, I mean, don't want to. I don't want to rule anything out. I'm I'm kind of an options guy. I like to I like to know what's. You know, available as far as options and creative endeavors go. Yeah, I'm 100 uh, percent heterosexual, but I am met, uh, music sexual, and there's really no rules when it comes to that. That's a new term. I just did you just make that up? I did. Yeah, I like it. You gonna use it? I I will try to file that away, and I will definitely try to use that. Cool. Awesome. What's up, Pat? How are you? Thank you for having me here today. You know, it's it's great to have you here. I'm doing great. Uh, this is the first time we've had a celebrity on the podcast, so I kind of don't know what I'm supposed to be doing right now. You use that term very loosely. Well, you know, I, I've had uh, – I'm trying to think of other people I've had on the podcast that could be – no, I've never had a celebrity on the podcast of any of any degree. And I would say uh, we're going from from zero to about, you know, 100,000. That's how I feel right now. The way I feel about that is – Automatically, if you're a bass player, you're not really a celebrity, even even in the confines of your own fandom of your band. You're kind of like, yeah, that guy's all right. Like, yeah, he's he's kind of in the band, but he plays bass, so yeah. So that's kind of where I sit. It's if there's tears when it comes to Hollywood. You know how there's like there's an A list, then there's like the B list, and then there's C list. That kind of works in bands too. Yeah. And I always put myself automatically in like that that C list. Well, that's uh, very modest of you. Um, I, I judge celebrity based on how many like Instagram followers you have. And whenever if you post if you post anything, you could post a picture of this table like the you know this crappy uh, laminate table from uh, IKEA, and you would get a hundred thousand likes, and you would get about five hundred women saying, "I love you, Dave." Like the funny, <laughs> the funny thing about that is, I actually went through a period with my Instagram account where I was just posting purposefully the most awful pictures I could take. Yeah, and I don't know if you've looked at it. If you go back and look at it, or if someone's listening and they look at it right now, I don't even know my Instagram name. I think it's Phoenix LP. If you find me on Instagram, you go back and look. Scroll down, maybe halfway through the pictures, and you'll start seeing these really awful pictures of like a leaf that's floating in like a cup of water, I think, or like a trash can or an out of focus soda can. And I, I went through this period where I was just trying to see if I could take the worst pictures possible. And then what people would do with that when it comes to social media, like how they would receive it. And to your point, they really thought some of them were definitely long with me on the joke, but a lot of people definitely also thought that, there was something awesome happening there. Yeah, there's a lot of beauty. They, they in were life. they were buying into it. Yeah, beauty it is a, everywhere. It was a fun, fun little segment of really awesome and awful Instagramming. Yeah, so of of the people who say you know I love you, Dave. How many do you think are women versus men? Or do you not want to think about that? <clears throat> I don't. Love is love. I don't try to differentiate. Yeah, especially when it comes to social media. All right, that's good. I will take the I love you, Dave, over the you're a piece of shit or I hate you or your new album sucks or whatever it is. I will take the I love you over any of those other things any 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 day of the week. Yeah. I'm one of those people that types I love you, Dave. So I just wanted to see if you were noticing. Yeah. yeah. No. I, so yeah. 
Awesome. So uh, you have a podcast. Yeah, so I, I want to see if you have any podcasting tips for me. I think this is our eighth episode or something like that. I think you're already well beyond my um, my pod. Just being here today and seeing what you have set up is a little intimidating from a podcasting level. It's very professional, Pat. Oh. I commend you on that. Thank you. So you're already you're already well beyond my expertise. My my podcast that I did, I don't think I was going to say I don't think many people know about it, but I'd even go as far as I don't think anybody knows about it except for those who've been on it, which are just some friends. And uh, it came from me just wanting to mess around with something new. And part of it too for me was like I I just wanted to do it when I wanted to do it, and. Um, Maybe that couldn't be more evident in the fact that I haven't done one in I think a year. Yeah, yeah. So I noticed that. But I, yeah, I still I still want to do more, and um, it's just for fun. I think it's I think podcasting is a ton of fun. I listen to a ton of podcasts and uh, always enjoy them. Sean, he who shall be quiet for this whole podcast, who is with us, was one of one of my guests. You should try to get him as a guest on on this podcast. Yeah, he seems to be declining that invitation. <laughs> he, he's kind of big time, so yeah. yep. I'm not surprised. He's gonna <laughs> he's gonna make you work for it. So I should mention, uh, Dave is a Reserve Society member. So if anybody out there thinks that they're too cool to be a member, um, you aren't because Dave's a member. And I am makes- apparently, and we talked about this a little bit. We touched on this a little bit earlier. For those who are really in the know. Apparently, I'm not cool enough to be a hoarder society member, Pat. I don't know how much you know about this, but that was always my ultimate goal. Yeah. Um, for anyone listening who doesn't know what that means, the hoarder society would be like the creme de la creme of brewery fans, of which I am one of them. And uh, yeah, I don't know how to break into that final top tier. That must be is that that's like the Brad Pitts of the world that are. Oh yeah, yeah. They're all. Slightly more famous than you, right? Yeah, the, maybe like Mike in the band. Like, the, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The top tier guys in the band who drink beers. Those guys are in the Hoarder Society. Yep. Bassists, eh? We'll put you in the, you know, kind of the middle ground. You know, I'm gonna have my people check it out. Just you know, see if there's any mistakes made, and um, we'll try to get you in. You know, by mistakes made, you would mean any other bassists that might be Hoarder Society members, and you would push them into other. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Sectors, right. We, we would look at other bassist players, and then we would look at how many you know gold or platinum records they have compared to you, and Instagram follow. There's, a, there's an algorithm. Uh, how much you've spent with us? Thank you very much. And um, we'll com- yeah compile all the information and uh, get back to you within four to six weeks. If it's merit based, then I'm 100 percent on board. Um, I think I can merit maybe moving up the ranks. If it's handsomeness based or anything other than that, I I think I'm happy to stay where I'm at. <laughs> well, it's a sincere pleasure to have you as a has you yeah, have a member, you. and um, that's very cool. That was actually uh, for me. Uh, my my wife got me that as I think a Christmas present, and it's been it was one of my favorite Christmas presents that I've gotten. So I've been stoked to be a reserve member. Thank you. You have a great wife. So appreciate her doing that. So, um, do you remember your first craft beer experience? Um, well, for that, I, I'm not super educated when it comes to the whole beer realm outside of what you have taught me. And so as I say that, and you look at me, it's gotta be, in the realm of education when it comes to beer drinking, I'm definitely, I know what I like, but I'm, I'm not super educated. Yeah. Um, I've tried to, to brew a couple of my own beers at home. Nice. And each time they, they have not worked out. <laughs> so there's, okay. So this is like my first experience with maybe craft beer would actually come, uh, call it 10 years ago or so every year. At the Grammys, they have like a, a gift basket for anybody who's presenting or anybody who's involved with the show. And one year, I think it was the Grammys, they had the, a Mr. Beer kit, which was like a brew-your-own-beer-at-home kit wow. that came as part of the gift basket. So <clears throat> uh, we, I think it was the year we played the Grammys. It was awesome. We played with like Paul McCartney and Jay-Z. It was just a super awesome experience. Got this great gift basket for it filled with all these like – 
fun, random different things. One of them was a Mr. Beer Kit, brew your own, own beer at home. Apparently, I did something terribly wrong in the process, or the beer that you can brew with Mr. Beer is just horrible, because at the end yeah. of the process, my beer was absolutely undrinkable. It was just rancid, terrible. Yeah. I've had a handful of Mr. Beer beers, and I, I don't think... I don't think there's a way to make a really great. I think there's an okay. There's a way to make an okay beer with that, but not a great beer. It's just it's not possible. Part of the problem might have been for me, at least if it's your first time and you're drinking beers while you're trying to brew the beer, and you're not really following the rules when it comes to all the sanitation and everything else that goes with it. Yeah, you're gonna probably end up with a pretty bad product, I would imagine. So anyway, that at least got me interested and. Um, wondering if i could brew something that would be even remotely drinkable i can't remember what we actually named that first beer that we brewed and it was something like shitter ale or something it was <laughs> it was very descriptive of how it tasted and it was horrible but we went down a, a lo- our local um little beer spot uh what's it called i'd love to say the name of it but it's down in southern orange county you'd know what it is what amazing grapes nope uh, board and brew? Nope. It's like a place where you can buy stuff to brew your own beers. No, oh, O'Shea's. O'Shea's, yeah. yeah. So yeah. shout out to O'Shea's. Uh, we went down there, grabbed some stuff, and we've actually, you know, through the process with them, brewed a couple different beers that were at least, I can't say good, but were drinkable. And then um, in the process, and when Sean, I met you through Sean uh, a year or so, two years ago, maybe. I don't know. It then, wasn't, wasn't that memorable to you, was it? <laughs> anything with Sean's not very memorable. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know one of those moments when your life changes, like when we met each other and then yeah. it's just like a such a new start that you don't know how long it's been because it seems like it's been forever. It's true. One of those. Yeah. So anyway, um, coming here uh, a year or two ago and trying all the different varieties that you guys were doing, um, that in a... In a in a cool way, opened my eyes to all the different things that can happen with like a craft brew and, and how much fun it is creatively. Yeah. Well, love that you shouted out to O'Shea's. Um, one of the first places that I went to when I started home brewing was O'Shea's and Jeff Williams, uh, the owner, I think he's still the owner there. Um, really great guy. Um, gave me a lot of advice and drank my crappy, you know, my first five batches were probably terrible. So he drank those, told me what I should do better. So nice to have, uh, nice to have mentors and, in the beer yeah. world. They've been there for a long time too, right? Yeah. I feel like they've time. been there for forever. Yeah. Like early nineties. Not yeah. quite sure. But. I went in there once and I, uh, I had gotten this tip from a guy, um, randomly a friend of mine who is way too into beers. And this was probably where you were at, I don't know, 10 years ago, but he was the guy who was way into different things and cool guy beers and whatever else before anybody else was doing it. And he was like, Oh yeah. Like, if you can, you got to try like Pliny the Elder. Like it's really hard to get and all the stuff. And I was like, all right, whatever. I never put in the time or investment to try or figure out how I was going to get a Pliny the Elder or younger back then. Yeah. But, um, I went into O'Shea's and I said, I want to try and see if I can brew a beer like Pliny the Elder, never having even tasted it. They just laugh. Yeah, basically. <laughs> They're like, well, this is like a, maybe kind of similar but at the same time yeah totally laughing at me i was like i can't figure out how to actually try it or buy it so maybe i'll try and make it like yeah that's not gonna work have you tried it yet i have uh the elder not the younger yeah um it was great awesome i'm going up to russian river on saturday so just a little brag i'm gonna drink i'm gonna drink that beer both or actually you know they're pilsner they make a beer called sts pilsner made for the uh i think the airport in that area not just like such a fantastic beer <laughs> but um yeah they'll have elder on uh younger is just in february mm. people line up for right. a long time to get that beer yeah i've got a really good friend um who owns a restaurant up there uh and he always talks about how you know the lines will be around the block and all that kind of stuff and so I'm, va- I'm I'm somewhat interested in at least trying the younger, but I'm not yeah. super interested in lining up around the block. Yeah, when I graduated from law school, the Hollingshead Deli, um, great beer bar, kind of deli around here, um, had a keg of younger on, and my brother and I drank through two or three pitchers. It's at the time that 
you know, it was a super in demand beer, but d- didn't quite have the notoriety that it has today. Right. And we just, we, yeah, it was, it was interesting. It was fun. One of the many perks of being Pat. Yeah. 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 At that yeah. time, at that time I'd been in that, you know, the brewery was, uh, did not exist, but I'd hung out at Holland said enough that the guy, they felt bad enough for me that they should be pouring me pictures of this beer to, um, help me deal with my student debt. It's <laughs> great. Yeah. Uh, so when you're on tour, uh, have you had a, you know, have you been to some very foreign country? Of course, well, every country is foreign. I guess that's not here. Have you ever been somewhere pretty uh, different than here and had a had a really unusual beer? Um, not unusual. I that, that I can remember, but I do try. Uh, one of our guys who works on our crew, uh, his name's Gray Rollin. He actually, he's the the chef and the owner of the restaurant uh, Belly up in Santa Rosa, which is right by the Russian River. Nice. Is it Russian River Brewery? Yeah. That, yeah. He's the one who's right there. Um, shout out to Gray. He's awesome. But Gray will travel with us quite a bit, and uh, he, for me, always tries to find like local beers that I might like. Mm-hmm. And so every night we play, I'll I'll have like a beer a couple beers um here and there <clears throat> and he always tries to make them something different but if we play that's which is awesome yeah it's great for me the downside or the challenging part of it is if we play you know say 25 shows on a european tour right and in the course of that there's going to be call it one or two beers that are new and different and local from different spots where we're playing at the end of it, I have no clue what I've tried. There's like 50 new beers, and I and I I know the ones like at the in the moment that I like and are like, yeah, that one's really great, or that one's like, meh. But at the end of it, I have no kind of like grasp of the ones that I meaning I couldn't name you a beer that I had from any right. of those spots because there's just too many. Yeah, agreed. You know, if, if we go and we play, like, one show and it's like, oh, we played in Prague and while we were there we tried this, 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 and this and all those beers were great, then I feel like you've you've learned something. But for me, in the end of the process, all I've done is, like, tried a bunch of really cool, different, unique beers, but I haven't learned anything. Yeah. Well, Sean, can you uh, get them set up on Untapped? Sean's not assistant. Sean's just a mutual friend. He's not an assistant. But I'm I'm saying, Sean, can you can you well, download an app? Whoa, whoa, and, whoa, Pat! Because <laughs> because let's let's stop right there. Because Sean doesn't have a mic. We can call him whatever we want. And I okay. would love to take this opportunity to call him my assistant. Yeah, yeah, because that that's great. And Sean will <laughs> definitely definitely set that up for me. And I'll have him, my assistant, uh, get right on that. That'd be great. Is there something wrong with your finger, Sean? It keeps sticking up. <laughs> that that that's his signal for I love you. Yeah, I love you too. <laughs> you're number one, but you're the middle number one. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, um, how'd you get the name Phoenix? Um, do I have to call you Phoenix, or do I call you Mister Phoenix? You can you can call me Lord Phoenix. Okay. You works. know, I'm actually fun story. I'm actually I am a lord. What? Yeah. You, I kind of don't believe you guys you. know that. <laughs> no, it's it's legit. Damn. And my my uh, my wife is the lady of the manor. Wow. Technically, we do have actual lordship and ladyship. We a friend of ours purchased it for us for a gift from the internet for I think thirty dollars. That's a pretty darn good deal. Yeah, you can buy a tiny little parcel of land on the internet. I mean, literally, I think it's a one foot by one foot space. Yeah. That I own in air quotes um in a historic spot or however it goes somewhere in the uk so with that i got my honorary title so you can you can if you are so inclined call me lord phoenix um <laughs> that's a good story. I was, I was expecting a better story. That, 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 that's actually better than so, I was okay. expecting. Let me tell you the full story. <laughs> the full story was that I, for the longest time, I we'd been traveling and touring, and I had seen that uh, like this, like a Russian czar's millionaire, billionaire's son, or whatever, had bought himself a lordship. Like so, one of the oil czars or whatever they call him from Russia had moved to London area. 
and the son, who was kind of just like a playboy, um, he wanted to be, you know, have a lordship. So he purchased one, which cost him an exorbitant amount of money. Um, I think he had bought, you know, like the the manor and all the stuff, right? Paid millions of dollars, and then he had the title of lord. And I looked at that, and I was like, for probably 10 years or so i'm like i so badly just because it's funny would love to have somehow have a lordship or just to buy it and then require people to call me lord Farrell or lord dave or lord phoenix or whatever yeah but just to be able to claim like yeah you've got it that's my title like you kind of need to call me that said it for like 10 years and then finally at a certain point one of my one of my buddies matt sugarman shout out to Matt was like, he bought it for me as a gift because he had done the research and figured out that in that time period, as the internet does, it offered this wonderful opportunity for people to buy their own lordships at a very discounted rate. So whereas this guy paid millions of dollars for his lordship and honorary title to be named that mine was maybe $30. And in the process, my lordship was birthed. Yeah, the Phoenix name also is a horrible story. Admittedly, <laughs> it came from the movie Mystery Men, uh, Ben Stiller movie. At a certain point in the movie, he he is trying to impress a girl and doesn't want to uh, give her her you know his his real identity, and so he tells her his real name is Phoenix Dark Dirk, <laughs> and his real name I think in the movie, if I remember correctly, is like Roy or something like that, but from that scene and uh with a group of buddies that i started doing music with and touring with in high school we all had admittedly and purposefully bad nicknames um mine came out of that movie it was phoenix and oddly enough that mine was like the only one that stuck yeah yeah it's awesome what what year was that uh probably like 90 Nine-ish, yeah. ninety-eight. Yeah, sweet. Twenty years of Phoenix, almost. You, there was other nicknames that got kicked around in that period. Uh, one of them being from the movie Basketball. Yeah. Um, so I was all that just to say I was happy that the the name Phoenix stuck because the other option was from another movie Basketball, and the nickname was Little Bitch. <laughs> Some of my friends tried to get that to stick for me, and um, I'm happy that that didn't really ever settle in that would have been a worse one to go by yeah i can see that on instagram like all the ladies are like i love you little bitch it's, it was l-i-l <laughs> it was way, way before yeah way before like that movement started happening in hip-hop little bitch l-i-l was uh so I, i've kind of passed that on to our mutual friend sean now he's little bitch yeah <laughs> he, he's embraced it <laughs> yeah i've had yeah Poor Sean. <laughs> Can't even speak up for himself. Oh, so geez. I hear you're an, I know you're an awesome golfer. I don't, I, I don't play golf, so I don't know from experience, but, um, I'm not going to ask you about how great of a golfer you are. Cause I, I'm guessing you'd say you're not that good, but if you had to do it all over again, would you spend your youth, uh, playing golf, you know, on the high school team and, uh, all that fun stuff? Or, uh, would you have, uh, continued honing your musical skills as you I got asked the question um years ago whether I would rather or whether I think it was whether I would trade a Grammy for a green jacket so basically whether I would trade a Grammy for um a win at the Masters yeah which for most golfers myself included would be like the coolest tournament you could ever win like they celebrate their champions it's it's like the best history there. It's like the one, if you were to only win one thing, that would be like the one. And I, and for me, I was just, I was like, Oh, for sure. I'd trade a Grammy for a green jacket, but only because I have a chance of winning more Grammys. Like I have a, I have no chance of winning a green jacket. <laughs> so yeah, like I, I would trade that for that. But having said that, one thing that's nice about golf, at least for me is that I haven't, I feel like I can get better at it. Um, I feel like I can continue to improve and I feel like it's a thing that I can do later on in life. Whereas if you play like at a youth level sometimes, or at a certain point you might feel like you're only getting worse. 
You're like, at this from this day forward, I'm only becoming worse and worse at this. You know, I, my heyday was when I was 20 and playing for UCLA. Right. Right. <clears throat> for me, golf is a nice way to hang out with friends, be competitive, and continue to play something that I can pretend is a sport until I'm well into my later years in life. Um, I've got a bunch of friends who play golf and for a living and professionally. And so I have no problem telling them that what they're doing is, you know, it's a sport that you can play when you're 70. So is that a sport? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. But for me, I was forced into retirement from all the sports that I like to play. And now I'm left with golf. Weird thing is you don't see a lot of bowlers that are 70, but you see a lot of golfers that are 70. I don't see a lot of bowlers at all anymore. Yeah, it's true. It wasn't there's like a moment for that where that was like a thing, right? Like bowling at least was on TV. Now, yeah, is there still professional? There's got to still be professional bowling, but it's I'm sure it's there it's in the relegations. Even in this day and age of like direct TV, where you have a thousand sports channels, yeah, is is there a bowling channel? It's on ESPN 40. There's not a bowling channel, but it's like between like the lead in is darts and then it's bowling. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> yeah, some pool, some poker. It's poker, yeah. Poker's a sport, right? Yeah. Poker got a good holding when uh, hockey had this, their strikes. Mm-hmm. So I imagine um, you meet a lot of celebrities. This is going to sound like a really stupid question. But it kind of happens with me with uh, people in the beer industry that I really uh, admire. I'm, like, nervous as hell to meet them. But being in the beer industry myself and, you know, sort of being known in the beer world, uh, I feel like I need to be a little casual. I can't, like, it's like, oh, my God, I love you. Uh, I can't be a total dork. So I'm curious how you approach uh, celebrities that you're really excited to meet. Are you you cool or are you just, like, a little girl? How am I I coming across right now? Oh, like, super nervous and, like... It's okay, Dave. Like I, I'm just, I'm just, a, I'm just a human. Like I'm just a human who's really bad at podcasting. I'm, I'm telling myself that you're a real person, but at the same time, I'm not really believing that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think um, it depends. You know, it's it's. Uh, I've gotten. I've been fortunate enough to meet a lot of uh, people over the years that I've looked up to, and I think I've learned a lot from those experiences. And the thing that I've learned the most is that in the times that I've met somebody and they've been genuinely warm and friendly to me, obviously that's given me like the best experience. And so my takeaway from that was always like, try to create at least a semblance of that experience for anybody who might be excited to meet me. Um, and one of the, one of my main ones I've talked about it at different points uh, quite a bit, but one of my main ones was always Paul McCartney. And growing up um, as a Beatles fan, firstly, and then secondly, like playing on bass and really appreciating Paul's approach to how he plays and what he does musically, um, I always thought of him as like an idol. And an idol in the sense of his approach to music and the legacy that he has. Um, and we, when we got a chance to not only meet him, but work with him, uh, years ago, it was such a cool experience first and foremost, because, you know, we played our song with Jay Z and then transitioned into a version of yesterday, uh, which is one of his songs that he had written. Um, that in and of itself was enough to be, you know, like, like a career kind of landmark. Yeah. But in addition to that, he was so like kind and real and down to earth and genuine, not only with us, but also with our crew and everybody else that we were um, surrounded by at the moment that it was really, really a special event occasion. Um, And I learned like, I learned a ton from that. And I, I remember feeling at one point, I literally had that feeling of being at a junior high dance and wanting to like, go dance with a girl like everything in your whole stomach and system and body and whatever just feels nervous and crappy and kind of weird and just out of body yeah um when he came in i I had that 
that same feeling about just going over and like talking to him and did you feel like you had to poop <laughs> i had simultaneously feel like i had to poop and that i'd already pooped yeah 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 Another like in my pants um and as i was thinking about it i'm, I'm like dude you're a grown-ass man like what's going what is going on here and and a lot of that almost anxiety was just about the fact that i'd invested so much in him being important to me that i didn't want it to be ruined or mm-hmm. let down like i didn't want to come away from that experience and just be like dude that guy's a fucking dick you know like, <laughs> what an asshole like now i have to revisit like my entire perception of kind of who he was and who he was for me right <clears throat> so there's all these weird feelings i go over there and in my head part of the dialogue is going like i'm playing bass in this transition of the song going into the song yesterday if I mess it up, he could literally at any given point, rightfully so, look over at me and say, you know what? Like, we don't need you really playing this part. I'll handle it. Like, we're good. It's, it's like, kind of just. I like, actually am a lord. Ex- yeah. Ex- like, bow he down is, and get out of here. He's an he's a <laughs> excellent point, Pat. His lordship might be more legit than mine. Um, but at any given point, he could excuse me from, like, my job. That's kind of what I'm thinking as I'm going over talking to him. And yeah. to his credit, he was nothing but warm, kind professional prepared everything that you'd want him to be uh he was great and that's like a good example of one of those i've had examples of those that are not as good that i won't share yeah but suffice to say that i came away from that being like yeah that's that's how you want that experience to go you know and and for me like i want i want to treat people with kindness and respect as much as I possibly can and as much as energy you have in that moment to give and whatever else there's times when admittedly it's going to be a crappy point for somebody to meet Pat of the brewery. Um, I feel bad for those people who feel that way, (laughs) but thank you for feeling that way. (laughs) But you know, you know what I'm saying? Like as much as is possible, that's, that's what I would want people to come away from the experience is the exact same experience that I came away with from working with Paul. Yeah. That's incredible. Sweet. I don't have any better questions than that. I thought that would actually be a pretty, like, soft, bad question, but it actually came off. You did a great job. Thank you. Appreciate it. There's only soft answers. (laughs) There's there's no bad questions, only bad answers. I don't know. I I think I could prove you wrong on that one. (laughs) So here's another bad question. Uh, If you were to make a beer, just, like, with your mind, if you were to imagine, like, the perfect beer, like at least the perfect beer for this very moment. Uh, what would it be? What ingredients would you use? Pizza. Pizza. There, pizza. there was a pizza beer at one point. Did you make a pizza beer? Could uh, you make a pizza beer? We did make a pizza. We did make a beer with a uh, a famous, not quite as famous as you, but a famous baker and a pizza place, uh, Pizzeria Basta, out of Boulder, Colorado, and uh, so. They made a pizza, uh, we made a beer, and the, the pizza and the beer were made to go together. So we used a lot of the same ingredients, um, but we didn't didn't go all, of that, all out and put an actual pizza in it. Mm. We did make a pie beer once with uh, KCRW, a local NPR station, yeah. um, where we made a pie beer, and we actually put um, so Evan Kleiman's. Uh, she made a pie at her house, and we put that pie in the mash tun. That was pretty awesome. What has been, <laughs> what has been your favorite maybe what has been your favorite beer that you guys have made or that you have made and then what has been what you would categorize or classify as as the weirdest or the most experimental crazy i don't know we do a lot of a lot of fun things around here uh something that comes to mind probably not my favorite or the craziest but just comes to mind is a corn baller so we made a beer <laughs> so, initially it was a beer that was supposed to be my daughter's beer for her 21st birthday uh, which which we we screwed up on this batch uh basically didn't hit our gravities so we ended up uh, it's this beer that was over 50 percent corn and um okay we didn't hit gravity what do we do do we just dump it down the drain this is early on this is 2011 so is this your favorite one no it's just like a, it's a good story okay <laughs> the, crazy, <laughs> the craziest it's going towards the craziest one right okay it's not that crazy actually but just like i had a had to make uh I don't know how to make lemonade out of rotten lemons. Um, we basically, uh, we were making, making this beer for my daughter. It didn't hit gravity. So, um, by hitting gravity, we didn't extract enough sugar out of the grain, mm-hmm. uh, to make this beer that I wanted to be 21% alcohol. 
So it was more going along the lines of like about a 12% beer. So we made a beer called Cornballer. So we just hopped the shit out of it and it came off. It was pretty much our first, we didn't call it an IPA, but it would be qualified as maybe like a corn double IPA. Um, and people love the hell out of it. And I don't know if you watch Arrested Development. Cornballer mm-hmm. um, was the the machine that uh, I think George Bluth invented that uh, was very, very unsafe, um, like caught houses on fire. Right, and like right. if you didn't get a third-degree third burn, you weren't using it enough. Right. So. That, is that where that came from? Yeah. 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 That's awesome. Um, I have better stories. I have better examples, but I, it's like that story. So, I'll Would you ever that. make the Cornballer again? We've been asked. We've been asked to do it. I don't know. I guess. Yeah. Why, why not? That's one of your one of your things here is that you're always changing things so much that you're you're never necessarily going back to what might have been well received or worked well or might have turned out great. You're always like moving forward. Yeah. What do we learn from that beer, and how can we apply the good parts to something else? Right. So yeah, it's all. It's all going through what, iterations and just learning from it, from it, but combining it with things that you also love. And I uh, think the beer gets better when you do that. Right. So um, you told me over lunch that you drink, uh, that sometimes you have uh, family and friends over and uh, you crack open something like a chocolate rain or a black Tuesday. And um, sometimes there aren't partakers. I guess number one, we might need to get new family or friends. Um, but number two, uh, could you talk about uh, talk about that experience of uh, doing uh, having a bottle yourself? Yeah, that's that's my probably my number one. I don't know if complaint is the right word. Is that a right issue? Yeah, is that when I open a bottle, say it's a Black Tuesday, that kind of thing. I like the beers that are dark and that are either have those like chocolate notes, coffee notes, um, those kind of things. Usually they tend to be on the heavier side, alcohol content for whatever reason, but 16, 15, 17, whatever. Yeah. That's only relevant when I tell you that also, whether it's my wife or friends or whatever that don't gravitate towards those heavier style beers that then I end up with a full wine size bottle of beer alcohol content might as well have been wine that now I feel like I need to drink by myself because nobody else will will partake of that heavy heavy beer yep I would love a smaller bottle size Ooh, I have good news for you we're we're working on a yeah, 375 right now. So I'm, set, I'm setting you up for this release. Oh shit! Oh, yeah, I didn't not, know that. Not you really. That. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't even know that. But that's awesome. <laughs> um, we're gonna call it the Phoenix bottle. There you go. There you go. <laughs> uh, yeah, but for me, like, um, that's one of my favorite. It's actually also one of my favorite things about the brand is just the the uniqueness of what you guys have been able to do uh, in your flavor profile. Um, and there's there's nobody else, at least in our area down here that I found that's doing anything similar in that regard. Um, so I've been I've been a huge fan of the beers and a huge fan, a fan of of your guys' product for the last year, year and a half, two years. And um, yeah, I found myself on a couple occasions. Uh, you know, if uh, my wife, I think maybe maybe similarly to a lot of other people out there like if she's gonna have a beer it's gonna be something like a corona something light just not like a beer drinker or she's gonna drink like a glass of champagne like she likes champagne that's like her thing so if i'm gonna open black tuesday she's gonna have a sip and go oh that's like really different interesting whatever but the rest of the bottle is gonna be me and so at the end of that i'm probably gonna be asleep or hurting on the couch and that's the end of my evening that's yeah, my wife does the same thing when I open up like a big bottle of it's it's wine in this example. I open like a big cab or something. She's like, "Oh, that's nice. I'll have my Whispering Angel Rosé." Like, cool. So I want to drink that whole yeah, bottle myself. Thank yeah. you very much. I think yeah. we have about a hundred pounds I, between us. Uh, so, me and uh, me and Phoenix. So um, I can handle a little bit more, maybe. 
Yeah, I'm not. I can't handle hardly anything, admittedly. But I do have, maybe maybe you're the same. I do have this thing, especially when it comes to drinks. I don't care. And by drinks, I don't just mean alcoholic drinks. But I mean, like, it could be a milkshake. It could be a water. It could be a soda. It could be... Thai iced tea. A Thai iced tea. Which I proved. So I'm going to... We'll get back to Thai iced tea. Yeah. But I have a thing usually with drinks where... If you put it in front of me, I have to drink it and I have to finish it. Like I, I haven't, it's like a psychological issue where I don't like there to be any left. I don't know why, I, but I've always been that way. So if we open a bottle of wine, even if I don't really like it, I feel kind of like I don't like to waste it. I don't want to have that go to waste. Same thing with it's a bottle of water. To my credit, today at lunch... I had a Thai iced tea that if I would have finished it, I would have been screwed for the rest of the day. And with you and Sean as my witnesses, we collectively were able to not finish that Thai iced tea at lunch. Yeah. So maybe, maybe there is some hope for me. Maybe I'm maturity wise turning a, turning over a new leaf, but that come, that becomes a problem sometimes when it comes to, you know, a good brewery beer, if nobody else is partaking and there's a, full what is the full what is the bottle size 500 milliliters uh, 750 750 yeah if there's a full 750 milliliter beer and i'm the only one drinking it i feel like i have to finish it or else i've kind of failed like i've yeah i hear you you can we do sell all these little champagne stoppers so <laughs> some people uh swear that it, like a black tuesday tastes better on the second day um i've tried it i think it's i think it's good the second day i don't know if it's better but mm. um yeah, to each is to each their own. Sure. Yeah. So um, on uh, Facebook, I posted that uh, that you're here, and thankfully the hordes have not rushed in to uh, to get your autograph. So um, glad people don't know where my office is. I guess very. Also, our very strong security detail that we have here today. It's true. Yep. Absolutely. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, Assistant. Uh, <laughs> Shoutouts to Assistant Sean. <laughs> So Joey Hudson, who is a uh, huge, huge brewery advocate, um, is uh, he remembers uh, seeing you play when you were with the Tasty Snacks. Wow. He suggests that that could be a good beer name, uh, punk music-inspired beer. So keep that in mind. But uh, talking about the Tasty Snacks, can you talk a little bit about how you got started in all this? Yeah, so the Tasty Snacks, Pat, I will let you use that name should you so desire well it has to be that dream beer so you have to go beyond pizza <laughs> and think of a beer yeah, we and we'll make we gotta come up with something better than pizza but we could name it tasty snacks yeah, yeah. um pizza is a good tasty snack though got it if you could do a piece uh, dude if, if nothing else if it came out of this that you did a pizza beer and we could name it tasty snacks that would be that would be huge all right that would make everything it. worthwhile right i mean I'm not saying I'm saying not not just saying this podcast, but I'm saying like me doing music and you doing beer. That would make all of that worthwhile if those two worlds collided and that was their finished result. Yeah, it could be like our it's like the our baby. It could be like something we made together. It's like our Voltron. Yeah, <laughs> and I form the head. <laughs> that could be weird for a lot of reasons. Uh, I like where this is going. Let's work on this. All right, so the Voltron of beers will be Tasty Snacks and will be a pizza beer. That's what we've come to. But uh, Tasty Snacks, yeah, the Tasty Snacks was the first band I played in. It was a bunch of uh, my really good friends from high school, good buddies. Um, Mark Fiore, who still works with us uh, in Lincoln Park to this day, uh, and me, another one of my friends, Mark Keller, and then we've had a couple different guys, Eric, Ryan, Jim. Uh, through the years, but it was like a pop punk kind of thing that we started in high school. It was actually my first version or first uh, first thing that I was doing in a band. Uh, I'd never played bass before when we started this this particular band. We had three guitarists and a guy who didn't play anything. So the guy didn't do anything. We made our drummer and me because I had the longest experience with music. We decided to be our bass player and um, had a ton of fun with it kind of where at least for me where i figured out what it looks like or what it means to be even in a band and 
how that could operate. Yeah. So, so did Tasty Snacks uh, morph into Lincoln Park? No. <laughs> <laughs> I think and, and I think it's pretty common with um, with all guys in bands and with all bands in general. Like usually, the first band you're in is not. If you're going to end up being in a band, that's not going to be the band. Yeah. And for us, like uh, for Lincoln Park, Brad and Rob were in a band uh, called Relative Degree, amongst many others, before Lincoln Park kind of amalgamated. Uh, Mike had done a couple different things. Chester had been done a bunch of different things. You know, everybody messes around in some way or another, um, figures out if they want to do bands or if they're good at it or whatever in kind of a learning stage and then yeah and somewhere or another uh if it's going to work graduates to a different thing so we're the same in that regard excellent so uh you got started in music pretty early on in life i hear yeah i i started playing uh violin when i was i think five or five six years old basically long story short my older brother had started playing cello in the elementary school orchestra and i kind of always did everything that he was doing um cello was too big for me so i started playing violin and a year later when a year or two later when he was kind of over it i just kept playing and so i was classically trained uh did private lessons and that whole bit for seven or eight years um during that period i also started playing some cello and some viola as well and then right around the point when I was maybe early teenage years, um, violin wasn't as awesome with my friends. Yeah. And uh, I started playing guitar. Got to hang out with, like, chess players. Like, yeah. think yeah. you're fucking awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dude, check out this killer Beethoven piece I just learned. Yeah. Like, eh, they weren't having it. Yeah. Um, yeah, so my mom taught me the basics on, uh, like, an acoustic guitar, kind of folk chords, that kind of thing. And so I started playing guitar. And then, you know, a couple of years later when starting first band, kind of transitioned to bass. Um, my joke always is, and sadly it's also a reality with a lot of people, that most bassists are failed guitarists, as I've told you. So that I'm no exception to that. I'm definitely a failed guitarist. and um, I don't want to think of you that way. I don't believe thank it. You, yeah. Thank you, Pat. Thank you. Thank you. But yeah, when I when I write or when I play or sit down and work on stuff, it'll usually be on a guitar, um, even to this day. And and I still I'll play a little bit of guitar in the band. I'll play a little bit of guitar live when we need it. Um, yeah, so I still I still play guitar too. Awesome. I'm still actually I think sadly enough after all these years I'm still probably most proficient from a technicality level on violin than anything else. I can't really read music. Like if you were to sit down and have me try to read music and like sight read yeah. on a bass, no chance. Guitar, I might have a little bit of a chance. Violin, I'd be fine. Have you played violin on stage uh, with Lincoln Park? You know, we we went through a period where there was a couple things we were doing acoustic where I'd play cello on stage. Um, I don't think I've played any violin. Yeah. Yeah. Hasn't been any uh, need for it, but wow. never say never. Yeah, that'd be really neat. Well, cool. Well, we are going to put together a uh, a three-pack uh, with Dave. Thank you, for, thank you, Dave. You're, you're going to pick out some beers that you love, and we're going to give uh, 10% of all revenue um, to Lincoln Park's charity. Can you talk a little bit about what to... Yeah, about, about Music your, for Relief. Yeah. yeah. So we started Music for Relief, um, man, must be 12-ish years ago or so. Uh, we started it after the tsunami in uh, Southeast Asia. I think it was in... Yeah, I'm totally blanking on the year. But our basic premise at that point was that we were able to be traveling all over the world and seeing people in all these different places. And we started seeing um, a need for disaster relief in these different spots that we'd been touring. Uh, and we figured... That we're in a u- unique opportunity, or we have a unique opportunity, that we're in a unique place, not only with our fan base and our ability to access them and talk to them about what was going on, but also with uh, the assets we had in our professional community. So our touring staff, our 
team of lawyers or team of business managers or access to other bands and their fan base, et cetera, um, to not only raise funds but also to to raise awareness about different things that were going on uh, worldwide. So we started Music for Relief, um, whose principal aim is disaster relief in different areas where, where we can make a difference. And in addition to that, with what we've seen happening um, environmentally, with its potential to increase damage and also frequency of, you know, disaster situations. Um, we also started an environmental wing of the organization as well that, that kind of focuses on tree planting, uh, reforestation, and also um, habitat preservation, that kind of thing. So for us, it's always been a way that we can really um, kind of reconnect and reach back into our community of fans and also hopefully mobilize uh, the community of musicians and and fans of music um, to be a voice moving forward for for things that uh, that they believe in that that they're interested in that's awesome yeah it's it's been it's been great and i I've always said like in that music for relief is is super close to my it's hard to talk about because it's the breadth of the projects we do are so far reaching so if I were to talk about one particular thing if I were to talk about we did um, like a solar suitcase project and we're continuing to do that in Africa and in certain parts of Africa there's a like a a really difficult time with sufficient or consistent access to energy like a like a basically like a power grid so we've worked with a company called we care solar that provides these solar suitcases for uh for medical offices and places um particularly to do uh, that work with childbirth uh, things like that the idea Hmm. that no birth should go uh no birth should should happen without light so they work with these different uh, communities that don't have access to a consistent electrical grid they provide them with a way to have a solar um, light source for the medical clinics. Um, bring them into those areas. They're literally the size of a of a suitcase or you know a briefcase yeah. to be able to light those clinics um, in times when you know it, it is midnight and you need to deliver a baby or you do need some kind of immediate uh, medical um, situation and kind of derailed or, or got a little bit off topic on that but there's so many different projects that we've done that it's hard to talk about the whole thing without talking about one and that's yeah. one particular project that that i've always really loved and believed in uh that we've worked with and i think it's an awesome opportunity for for us to just be in a very very small way involved um with giving back in some respect and making a difference in in people's lives moving forward yeah it's great of you guys to to do that um, now I need to start a charity just so I can feel as good as you. <laughs> no, really, it, it is it is amazing, and uh, when you have such success and influence, it's um, to use that in a really positive way is um, is what's going to make this world uh, continue to be you know, what it is. Yeah, I, and I think I don't know where you stand on this, but I think our generation, uh, with the internet and everything else, you have such a wide access to information. Yeah. And I think our generation sincerely cares about the world at large and kind of what's going on. We we don't know how to be involved or how to be active in being a part of a solution for something, but I feel like we feel connected in some way or another to like a global community. And I feel even more so than that, the generation that's behind us and younger than us, they're even more like engaged and more in communication with that idea of like a real global community and how it matters even more to them. Um, all these different things that are going on worldwide. And so, you know, I, uh, all that just to say, I don't, I don't know where that's going to lead in the future, but it, at the very least it gives me hope and it gives it, I'm excited about that. And, you know, the kids that are out there that want to be a part of being, a difference or make a difference for something positive or for good. Um, I want it, I want them to be able to have some way to like plug into that 
you know, in some way to know, you know, even if it's just going and getting information and then being able to share that with their friends or even if it's, it's not, it's not always, it's not about money. It's not about that at all. Sometimes it's about, um, being able to communicate to the people that represent you in government or everything else that, that you're passionate about that or that you care about that. I think that's going to be a difference maker as we move forward in a, larger like societal sense this just got really serious for like <laughs> the brewery podcast <laughs> but that's like that's like what that's like where i'm at or that's where i'm passionate with uh music for relief is i believe there's like a strength in numbers um if you go for to musicforrelief.org you can like look at the different programs that are there educate yourself that that way if that's what you're interested in yeah. but there is like a real power in numbers and more than anything in a societal change manner i think that the more we lean towards like kindness and the more we direct uh, as a society or as a group of humans, the more we're uh, our mindset gears towards that, like the better off we're going to be. Agreed. Well spoken. Well, I wanted to, wanted to cheers you and also wanted to cheers uh, your, your old bandmate uh, Chester um, to him. Yeah. Yeah. This has been, thank you. First, you have and to cheers. drink. Cheers. Yeah, cheers. Um, this has been a really, this has been a tough couple months, for sure. I mean, that I think that goes without saying for, yeah. for the band and also our community of, of fans. Um, you know, you can't. I was talking to you a little bit about it earlier. There's no, there's no playbook for how you move through this kind of thing. Um, grief is always a weird, a weird thing. I lost my mom eight years ago or so. And my only point of reference that I have for, for dealing with the loss of Chester is that, you know, and every day is a little bit different and you've just got to figure out what that day holds and allow yourself the, the room and the space, um, moving forward to know that, you don't have to have it all figured out. You know, it's, it's okay to, to say six months from now, hopefully I'm in a better place and I'll be in a better place then to, to know what the next six months looks like. But for now I don't have to try and know, or I don't have to try and be confident or comfortable or whatever in where I'm going to be at, at that place. I can just be in today. So that, that's really, I think that's really where I'm at is, is trying to be okay with being in the moment um, I miss, I miss Chester every day. Uh, and there, there are parts of that, that, that definitely hurt more than others. And there's days that are harder than others. Um, we played for the first time just this past Friday at the Hollywood bowl. And even in the course of that show, uh, the movement of emotions for me was so rapid that it was almost at times, even on a song by song basis where I'd go from feeling excitement and joy of playing again to feeling like sorrow and loss to not having him there. Mm. I was like laughing. I was crying at points and that went through all five of us. And then also we had 20 plus guest artists with us as well. That feeling was kind of going through everybody. So I don't know. It's, it's a weird time for us. Um, but we're we're figuring it out, yeah. Figuring it out as we go, yeah. Well, you guys are amazingly talented, and uh, um, well, I'll miss hearing Chester's voice. But uh, appreciate you talking a little bit about it. And um, cheers, dude. Thanks, yeah. Thanks for nice. visiting. Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Um, thanks, thanks for being a reserve member too. Maybe maybe you'll be a hoarders member in 2018. <laughs> <laughs> one can one can dream. Pat. Yeah, I don't give out these things easily, but you know that's what just, I hear. Yeah, here you got to uh, at the very least be a guitarist. <laughs> yeah, that would be preferred. You know, it's <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a vocalist. Yeah, definitely. So I'm gonna I'm gonna have you sing here. Uh, what drummer? No, nah, probably not. Right? Come I don't on. know. Drummers are cool. There's I mean, always yeah. There's always, always a, like they're always nicer than everybody else. There's a battle, a consistent battle between bassists that. and drummers. Yeah. We are the rhythm section together, but there is a little bit of like a sibling rivalry type thing over if you had to rank the band, you know, the, the, the stereotypical band, if you had to rank it on a coolness scale, where does bass sit versus drummer bassist 
bassists are always going to try and put themselves a little bit of the, above the drummer and claim yeah. the drummer is not even a musician. Technically, they just bang on things and it's not music. But Ouch. Yeah, I, w- I wouldn't say that. I'm just saying yeah. other people would say that. But yeah. On the plus side, saying. they have way more equipment, so they take up much more of the stage. It's true. But uh, they're sitting. They're sitting. There's, but they're up on a pedestal. Some people think that sitting is preferable. Some people think that it's, you know. Yeah. When I was a kid, I, uh, the drummer for Def Leppard, I was always like totally amazed at that guy with one arm and all the, you know, the, a lot of the drum. Eight uh, pedals. Yeah. Holy crap. Anyway, I digress. I think uh, I've, I've taken too much of your time. Well, thanks for having me, Pat. Thank you. Do it again. Cheers. And thank you, Sean, for not saying anything. Really appreciate that. Can we get Sean on the mic just for yeah. a goodbye? Yeah. Sean, come on. Get on there. Goodbye. All right. Sounded great. Till next time. Cheers.